Thank you so much, Clara. That was beautiful. Adrian Rogers once told a story about the incredibly gifted violinist named Fritz Chrysler. And Chrysler learned that an old, old Englishman possessed a Stradivarius violin, a very rare and very beautiful instrument. And so Chrysler went to the old man and offered to buy it. But the old man told him it was not for sale. Well, Chrysler was rebuffed, but one day he decided to go back to this old man's house. And he said, if I can't buy the violin, may I touch it? Well, the old man very graciously invited him in and and uh, Chrysler saw that violin. Very rare, very expensive. And he picked it up and he tucked it under his chin. And he took the bow and began to draw it across the strings. And when he did, it was said you could hear the laughter of little children. You could hear babies crying. You could hear the birds singing in the trees. You could hear the voices of angels. And for about 20 minutes, Chrysler played as only a master could play that very special instrument. And as the old Englishman sat there, great tears began to well up in his eyes and began to course down his cheeks. And Chrysler saw the old man crying and thought, well, maybe I've gone too far. And he stopped and said, I'm sorry, but I would like so much to buy this instrument. The old Britisher looked at him and said, it's not for sale, but it's yours. You may have it. You are the master. You alone are worthy of it. And Adrian Rogers said, that's what worship is all about. The Lord is the master of the universe and of our lives, and he alone is worthy of our worship. We were reminded of that last week as we're taking a fresh look at the Ten Commandments. And last week we looked at that very first command. You shall have no other gods before me. We talked about the fact that we're to only worship God. Why? Because he's God alone and he's to be worshipped alone. And today, as we're going through these commands and taking a fresh look, we come, of course, to the second command. And if you have your Bible, look in Exodus chapter 20. And I challenged you to memorize the commands, at least the, the, the summary statement. And we gave these bookmarks out last week. There are more back there. If there'll be a help to you, please take them and, and be memorizing and learning the Ten Commandments. If you haven't already, but we're going to look today at the second command. Now, the first command, you shall have no other gods before me. The second command is found in Exodus chapter 20, beginning at verse four. Exodus chapter 20, beginning at verse four. The Bible says you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, in all honesty, upon first sight, it appears that the second commandment, is saying exactly what the first commandment said. I mean, the first commandment said no other gods. And now the second commandment says, listen, don't make any idols or graven images. 
So the question arises, is there really a difference between command number one and command number two? Or is command number two just kind of expanding on command number one? Well, the idea of false gods is taken care of in command number one. No other gods. So what is command two all about? Well, let's put it this way. Command one deals with who we're to worship. You're to have no other gods before me who we're to worship. But command two deals with how we're to worship. Command two says, thou shalt make it to thee any graven image. To put it another way, command one deals with false gods. Command two with false worship. To put it yet another way, command one says only worship God. And command two teaches us to worship God correctly. Yes, many women, boys and girls, there is a right way to worship God. And there is a wrong way to worship God. Now, to worship your member is to ascribe worth, worship, worship. We're ascribing worth to God. When you worship something, you say it has value, you say it has worth, you say it's worthy. And of course, the Bible is very clear that God alone is worthy of our praise, our adoration, our worship. And while this command is put forth in the negative, as many of them are, you shall not make it to thee any graven image, any idols and so forth. While it's put forth in the negative, the positive is implied. You see, the positive is this, beloved. Don't worship those things. Worship me. God says, worship me. And God teaches us to worship him correctly. And by the way, worship is to take place every day. In the life of a believer, not just on Sunday. Now, I want you to forever get out of your mind that worship is for Sunday only. Yes, this is a worship service. During vacation Bible school, every night we have what we call a worship rally. But listen, worship should take place every day in your life. You should be ascribing worth and praise and adoration to God and God alone. So we're going to talk about, first of all today, worshiping God or trying to worship God The wrong way. The wrong way. Are you ready? Number one, we do not worship God through the use of images, statues or other visual aids. Let me say it again. We do not worship God through the use of images, statues or other visual aids. The Bible says in Exodus 20, verse four, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. Any likeness of anything that is in heaven above. In the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. Now, I realize this morning I'm talking to a variety of people with uh, various backgrounds and different backgrounds. I realize there are those in our congregation, our church family, and those who may listen to this recording later, who come out of a tradition or a religious background where the use of images was prevalent. And they understand a lot more, perhaps, than others about the use of images. And then I realize that I'm talking to a host of people today who you grew up, maybe here at Red Hill or in another place, and the idea of using images is very foreign to you and very, maybe even strange to you. So I need to be very clear about what I'm talking about today. You see, some people seek to worship God through the means of images and statues and other visual aids. aids. Uh, An example might be a picture of Jesus. 
Another example might be a crucifix. Another example might be a statue of the Virgin Mary or another saint. Now, those who use those would probably say, now, listen, preacher, you don't understand. We're not really worshiping these images and these statues and these things we're using. We're worshiping God through these things. We're using these things to worship God. These things merely represent God. Now. While that may be the case in your own mind, God says very clearly here in the second command that you're not to do that. You're not to use images and statues and these things to worship God. He says very plainly, you shall not make yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything in heaven, earth, under the earth. Do not bow down to them. Do not serve them. Now, of course, the idea of false gods are forbidden in command one. No other gods before me, idols, so forth. That would be to other gods is forbidden. But these idols and images and whatever is fashioned and formed to help us worship and represent the real God, they are forbidden. Now, why is that the case? Several reasons. First, because God said so. Now, we're talking about the Ten Commandments, and this is God speaking. That's what the command says, so that should be enough. But let's, let's, uh, let's expand on that even. Because God said so, but likewise, because such images distort and dishonor God. Now hear me out. Such images dishonor and distort God. Think about it. A person, a person takes something, a piece of wood, a piece of metal, a, a piece of uh, stone, and they use their own hands to carve and to form and to fashion something, a representation of God. And then they take that image which they themselves made with their own hands and they fall before it and they bow before it and they worship and serve. Even if they say they worship God, they're bowing before this which they have created themselves. Or if they can't do that, they go and they find someone else who's talented and and they buy it off another man or another woman. And they bring it home and they set it up and they fall down before it. And, And many would say, listen, we're not worshiping the image. We're not worshiping the picture. We're not worshiping this object. It just stands as a representation. It it represents God. And I'm using this to help me to worship God. Now, listen, what can a man or woman fashion that accurately represents and captures God? Every image that could be made or fashioned falls short. Every image is incomplete. Every image robs God of his glory. Every image is woefully inadequate to convey the glory and the majesty and the holiness of God. They're incomplete. Think about the crucifix, a cross that has the suffering Savior upon it. That's an incomplete picture. You know why? Jesus is no longer on the cross. Jesus is no longer in the tomb. He arose. He lives. He's coming back. It's inadequate. Jesus Christ. Listen. Jesus Christ is the image of God. Jot this reference down. Colossians 1.15. The Bible says of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. 
By the way, it's very interesting to think about the fact that God created man in his what? His own image. Male and female created he them. We should be reflecting the glory of God in our own lives. And we can do that as we come to faith in Christ and serve him and yield to his Holy Spirit and bear fruit and glorify him upon the earth. Now, how dare we who are made by God in his image turn around and try to make God in his image? That gets you backwards, does it not? How dare we who are made in his image turn around and try to make his image? He made us. We don't make him. And so the Bible is very clear that we do not use carved images or statues or anything that we would make to represent God. I think this goes even further. I think we also have to be very careful that we do not worship through our mental images. You say, preacher, you lost me on that one. Well, let me explain. We need to make sure that we worship God for who he is and as he is, as revealed to us through the word of God and through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're not careful, we'll begin worshiping God of our own making in our mind. Be very careful when you say or somebody else says something like this. I like to think of God as a. Fill in the blank. Some would say, I like to think of God as a grandfather who is very doting and very kind. And though he may wink at at my misdeeds and wink at my sin, he would never punish me. That is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a perfect God, a just God. And he's not a doting grandfather who just winks at your sin. He gave his son for your sin. And he desires you to come to his son and have your sin dealt with. I like to think of God as a stern disciplinarian. I like to think of God as be careful with that. Make sure that your understanding of God is shaped by the word of God and the image of God, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if you don't do that, you may not be worshiping the God of the Bible. You may be worshiping the God of your own imagination and mental making. We do not worship God through images because of what God commanded. Because such worship dishonors God and distorts God. And then we also understand because of the consequences of such practices. Keep reading there in verse five. He says in verse five, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Our God is a jealous God. Now, you and I, we think of jealousy in a evil light, right? And when it comes to us, that's pretty much what happens. But listen, that's not what being, what's being spoken of here. In my study, I found that the word jealous there literally means to be red in the face. It's the idea of being zealous. In other words, God is zealously desiring our total worship and commitment. He alone deserves it. Exodus 34, 14 says, For you shall worship no other gods, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. You see, to worship another God, to worship a false God, to bow down before even a representation of God, is to commit spiritual adultery. And God is jealous of our worship. Just as a husband and wife 
is jealous of their spouse. Now, I don't mean the kind of jealousy that's immature and petty and is on a witch hunt trying to find everything that you actually spoke to that cashier. I can't believe you spoke. I don't mean that kind of stuff. I don't mean ridiculous, but I mean the type of jealousy that says, listen, you are my spouse. I'm your husband. I'm your wife. And and I expect faithfulness. I expect you to be loyal to me. And you're jealous of their love. Let's apply this to our worship. This is not original, but I think it really captured it. Ladies, suppose for a moment you walk in and you find your husband embracing another lady. And he's there hugging the lady and he walk and you walk in and he catches your eye and you, you stand there. And he says, now, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't get the wrong idea. Don't get the wrong idea, honey. Now, listen. When I saw this woman and, and I saw how beautiful she was and I saw how lovely she was, she reminded me of you. <laughs> and, and so. When I'm hugging her, I'm not, I'm not thinking about her. I'm thinking about you. And I'm, I'm not loving her. I'm loving you. I, I, she's just helping me to love you. Now, let me ask you. You ladies, would you buy that? You wouldn't buy that. My wife wouldn't buy that. Now, let's use it in regards to God. The God, I, I, I'm not worshiping this idol. I'm not worshiping this picture. I'm not worshiping this image. I'm not bowing before it. I'm not honoring it. I'm just using it to worship you. You see the problem with that? You see the problem? Even if your intentions are good, your devotion, your attention begins to be turned away from the true and living God to that idol, that representation. Believe it or not, Moses is up on the mount receiving the law of God. And while he was doing that, the children of Israel were busy breaking this very command. Put a marker there in Exodus 20 and go to Exodus 32. And we see a picture of this in the children of Israel. Now think about this. Moses on the mount and God saying, don't make any graven image. Don't make an idol. Don't make a representation. And Moses on the mount for some time with God. The children of Israel there waiting for him. And in Exodus 32, we find these words. Beginning in verse 1. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And we would love right there to read that Aaron said, you are wrong. We will wait. We will honor God. But Aaron does not do that. Verse two says, and Aaron said, excuse me, to them, break off the golden earrings, which are in your ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with an engraving tool And made a molded calf. Then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, verse five, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the what to say next to the Lord. 
Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, go get down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They turned aside quickly out of the way which I've commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. I want you to notice again what Aaron says in verse five. He says, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. They're bowing down and worshiping. And they have this feast to this calf, this golden calf that he made. And they broke God's command. That statue didn't bring them out of Israel, out of Egypt. It didn't deliver them. It was not their God. It was an idol. It was wrong. And God sought to deal with them. In fact, we won't read much, but look at verse nine. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and indeed it is a stiff necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them and I will make of you a great nation. Of course, Moses pleaded with the Lord and you can read the rest at some other time. But God is a jealous God. He's a jealous God. And he's a just God. And he says back in our passage, Exodus 20, verse 5, that he visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate him. Now, listen, hear me clearly. This does not mean that children are held responsible for and punished for their parents' sin. That's not what's being talked about there. It's not the idea that God is punishing the children for the parents' sin. Here's what it's the idea here. Children are greatly impacted by the actions of their parents. And because of the sin of their parents, the children suffer. We see that in our world, do we not? How many alcoholics are there who, because of their alcoholism, their children go without, their children not only go without, but many times are abused and harmed because of their parents' action. Think about a a drug addict. And they go on in their lifestyle and because of their lifestyle, their children and many times it goes right on down. They suffer because of their actions. And so the child of an idolater. More than likely is going to be an idolater himself or herself. If mom and dad are idolaters, more than likely the child will be an idolater and then the grandchild will be. And he says there to the third and fourth generations. But he doesn't stop there. And I love what verse six says, but showing mercy to thousands. He just talked about the third and fourth generations, but then says in verse six, but showing mercy to thousands. That is thousands of generations to those who love me and keep my commands. See, God is a merciful God. Praise his name today. God is very clear. Do not use images and statues and these things to worship me. Before we move on and talk about how to correctly worship, a question often comes up. What about religious art work in general? Is it wrong to have a picture of an artist's rendition of Jesus, per se, in our Sunday school literature? In fact, I have some Sunday school literature from my boys from this month, earlier this month. And both of these have a picture of Zacchaeus and the tree, and they have a representation of Jesus right there. 
And they have a representation of Jesus right there. So does the second command say that we cannot use things such as this to help teach children? Is it wrong to have a cross? Is it wrong to have religious artwork in general? Well, I am persuaded it's not wrong. And you say, well, preacher, how can you say that? Well, because you go and you look a little bit further in the Old Testament. And what do you find? Instructions for the building of the tabernacle and the temple. And you'll find there depictions and the making of cherubim and all kinds of beautiful artistic things being laid out there by God. As one author said, the second commandment does not forbid art. It forbids idolatry. Now, if we take a picture like this and we start using it to worship, it's wrong. You take a cross and start using it to worship, it's wrong. You take a piece of religious art and use it to worship. Second commandment says, do not do that. But we don't believe that it forbids religious art in general. It forbids idolatry. It forbids using those things to worship God. Now, we've got to hasten here and hurry. The wrong way to worship, using images and statues and so forth. Now, how do we worship God correctly? We worship God correctly. Listen, we worship God in spirit and in truth. Now, we don't have time this morning to do a full study on the idea and theme of worship. We're going to hit a couple of high points. If you'd like to go to the Gospel of John, we find the account we're going to speak about. John chapter 4. And in John chapter 4, we have the Lord Jesus there speaking. And in John chapter 4, he says, beginning at verse 23, these words. John chapter 4, verse 23. John chapter 4, verse 23. Jesus speaking there says this, But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Now notice Jesus says it twice. Verse 23, worship the Father in spirit and truth. Verse 24, worship the Father in spirit and truth. And then in verse 24, reminded that it says that God is spirit. We're reminded that God is spirit. He's not a statue. He's not an image. He's not a man. He's a spirit. He is invisible. First Timothy 1.17. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. We cannot see him. We don't see God today. And I think that's often why people break the second commandment. They want something they can look at, something they can hold, something they can visualize. In other words, they want to walk by sight rather than by faith. Jesus says, listen, God is spirit. You worship in spirit and truth. Now, what does that mean? John MacArthur helps us in reminding us that the word spirit there does not refer to the Holy Spirit. Although the Holy Spirit is indeed involved in our worship, but it, it, it refers to the human spirit. The idea is, is that we don't just go through external rituals and outward things. We worship God inwardly in spirit. That is from the heart with the right heart attitude. 
And so worship is more than just us going through the motions here this morning. And God help us if we're just going through the motions. Worship is more than just showing up and following the order of worship place. We worship in spirit. We worship from the inner man. We worship from the heart. Not just outward forms. And then it says we not only worship in spirit, it says we worship in truth. And that refers, beloved, to the truth of God's word and the truth of God for who he is. It's the idea that we worship God as he's revealed himself in Scripture. And also it's centered on the word made flesh who revealed his father, the Lord Jesus. John uh, uh, chapter 14, verse six. In other words, our worship ascribing worth is not just a sham or a show. It's not just a ritual or mere religion. Our worship is from the heart. Our worship is in spirit and it's centered upon the God who's revealed himself in the Bible, not the God of our imagination. That's why it's so important that you be a student of the word, that you understand God for who he is and reveal himself. And of course, he's beyond our ultimate understanding. If we could understand everything about God, he wouldn't be God. So we worship God the wrong way and using images and statues and those sorts of things. And we worship God the right way in spirit and in truth. And so here's what we need to talk about in conclusion. How do we apply all this to our lives? Well, let's go through several questions and and I want you to examine your worship as we go through these and you answer in your own heart where you are. Number one, you ask yourself this. Am I even able to worship? Am I truly a child of God? Have I repented of my sin and turned to in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ? If not, friend, I beg you today to come to Christ and Christ alone. Secondly, am I guilty of breaking the second commandment in my worship? Am I using visual things to worship the invisible God? Am I breaking the second commandment? Third, am I worshiping in spirit? Am I merely going through outward motions or am I worshiping God inwardly from the heart? Am I worshiping in spirit? And of course, am I worshiping in truth? Do I know what the Bible teaches about God? Is the God I'm worshiping the God of the Bible or the God of my imagination? Am I worshiping in spirit and truth? And then on the heels of that one, am I continuing to grow in my knowledge of God through Bible study and prayer and sermons and these sorts of things? And and, and, and am I growing in my worship of God? By the way, is worship boring to you? Now, we said worship takes place. Beyond these walls, I hope, but this is a worship service as well. Is your desire when you come that, boy, I hope he doesn't go along today. Boy, I hope we get out before noon. Listen, I, I do my best to respect your time. but If our whole goal in worship is to get out before noon, we might as well stay home. Might as well. Because it's already new. <laughs> Am I aware that my worship has a tremendous impact upon my children, my grandchildren, and my great grandchildren? 
Is that not what God talked about there in Exodus 20 verses four through six? About the third and fourth generation. So I realize the way I worship will have a tremendous impact on the way my children worship. And probably on the way that my grandchildren worship and the way that my great grandchildren worship. And listen, I love God and and I honor God. And so I say, God, for thousands of generations, if you don't return first, Lord Jesus, may my family worship and honor you as you say in your word. In other words, am I setting the proper example and leaving the right legacy for them in my worship of God? That worship should take place here and it should take place out yonder every day of my life. Listen, is your worship of God just a mere outward form? Is it like a a three year old ready to eat and you say, say the blessing and they just say something they can eat? Is that what your worship's like? You should grow in your worship. Is your worship something that's just hastily done? Is it just done out of guilt? Is it just done out of obligation? Is it just done so you can feel good about yourself? Or is your worship because you realize that you serve a holy, awesome, righteous God who's worthy of everything? And you ascribe worth to Him. Because you know, kids are amazing in picking up the truth. You may say whatever you want to say, but they see your life and they see your actions and they know if you're a sham or not. They know if you're playing or not. They know what you really think about God and his worship. We need to conclude and pray. But listen, beloved, the second commandment is clear. We're not to have any graven images, anything, statues, images, anything We do not use those to worship God. We don't use visible things to worship the invisible God in the sense of bowing down before carved images or pictures or those sorts of things. We don't worship the God of our imagination. We worship the God of the Bible and we're to worship in spirit and in truth. And so I ask you today before we pray. What about your worship? Are you worshiping today in spirit and in truth? From the heart, from the inner man, and in truth, according to God's word. Let's pray. Father, we love you and praise you and thank you for your word. And Father, I pray that you'd help us be obedient to your command. We know that you've given it to us out of a heart of love. Because you're a jealous God. And you want our worship alone. You want our adoration, our praise, because you alone are worthy and you're zealous over that. And I pray, Lord, if anybody here today does not know you and does not worship you, I pray today your Holy Spirit will convict their heart and they'll come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in the next moment or two. And Father, I pray for those who do know you to help us to be honest in our evaluation and allow the Holy Spirit to put his finger on anything that's not right in our worship. That we'll be people that truly worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray these things and ask your blessing over this invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning is number three. Worthy of worship, worthy of praise. We sang it last week. We'll sing it again this week. He alone is worthy. You need to be saved today, y'all. You want to come and pray today. We'd like to come. Whatever's on your heart, whatever God's into you about, would you come and do business with God? 
our awesome God, our mighty God, our great God. Let's stand and say number three, worthy of worship, worthy of praise.